Welcome to another episode of Sustainable Goat. My name is Steve Cassingham, and I interview the greatest of all time in the sustainability space. Our guest today is Paper Karma, and they're an app that is on a mission to unsubscribe us from junk mail. You know, the junk mail that you get in your mailbox all the time, and you're like, why do these keep coming? Well, Paper Karma is the answer to that. And we talk about everything from, you know, what Paper Karma does, but also we dive into the world of junk mail, e-commerce, marketing, and overall the global impact that, you know, just creating these paper mailers have. So we get into some really, really good concepts, and we even talk a little bit about some upcoming technologies as well. So let's dive right into the conversation. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. I'm just really excited to, to talk about this side of sustainability, some of the investing side, but also the side of paper. Paper people just take and put in the recycle bin and nobody thinks that there's actually a sustainability angle to just even the use of paper. But I'd love to just hear a little bit about your background and kind of, you know, what has your life been like in terms of, of business and where did you kind of start your you know journey when it comes to business? Hey, well, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. <clears throat> and my last 15 years have basically been consumed by entrepreneurship. And part of the reason for that was uh, I tried to be an investment banker back in the day, uh, joined in 2008. Great timing um, as the market was collapsing. So yeah, a LIFO, um, last in, first out, and no one was really hiring in that environment. So um, I was compelled to start my own businesses and, uh, and become an entrepreneur. And what I uh, ended up doing was creating one of the first sort of e-commerce and daily deal sites in Eastern Europe, uh, specifically Croatia. Uh, that's where my wife is from. I've spent a lot of time over there and lived there for many years. Um, <clears throat> I'm not Croatian. I'm American. Love the country. Beautiful place. When did you first travel there? Just out of curiosity. Right after uh, their civil war, their conflict, um, as Yugoslavia was breaking apart, I was mm -hmm. a, t a teenager and my best friend was from there. And somehow I convinced my parents to go over there with him, uh, even though it was a very unstable situation. But uh, uh, just saw um, a lovely place that was completely devastated. And it was uh, eye-opening to say the least. Um, but what was really interesting was at that point in time, uh, it was a new nation, um, you know, free for the first time, if you will, um, to manage its own destiny. And there's a lot of capital coming in, a lot of uh, foreigners coming in, you know, a lot of movement and just a lot of hope and excitement. And it was a tremendous intoxicating atmosphere for a young guy to see. And uh, it just felt like, you know, a country pulling itself up by its bootstraps. And, uh, you know, that's, that's impacted my entrepreneurial journey as well. It just seems when you have so much hope and optimism for the future, you can really do and build anything. Well, and I think a lot of people have, have kind of a, I guess like a narrowed view, if you will, of entrepreneurship. Like I think a lot of it is, you know, they think it's just in Silicon Valley or, you know, it has to be an app or it has to be a specific product or you have to, you know, distribute from a certain area. But having an international view on it, I mean, did that change kind of what your thought process is around business when you take it on almost like an international scope? Well, yes. So I think that my, my thought process was, uh, look, let's, create a, a company. It was a, a daily deal company called Collectiva. Let's do it in Croatia. 
and let's use that as a testing bed as a small country where, for instance, the Groupon would never come, um, at least that was our thought at the time, and then expand uh, into surrounding countries, et cetera. And that's exactly what we did. Um, but we, we learned a lot and understood that we had to localize um, our offerings and our team and, um, and our way of doing business and really adapt um, and tailor things to every single country we ended up going into. We, we ended up growing the company uh, into about, you know, 150 people, 14 countries. We were the number one uh, daily deal player in each one of those countries for most of our time there and ended up uh, selling to a, an, an e-commerce company in, in Romania several years later. It was very interesting. But uh, Groupon did come. We were able to beat them, um, which was thrilling, but um, also very, very, very hard. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, um, you dealing with so many cultures, dealing with, you know, different time zones and, uh, and languages and, um, and, and, and different skill sets in different countries. It's, uh, it's very challenging, you know? So, um, so it was a, a really great experience. So what was it about tech that kind of brought you into that world? I mean, were you just intrigued by, you know, the platform of technology or, or how many people it could impact? You know, <laughs> At first, the impetus wasn't so much an interest in technology. It was more um, a, a result of, uh, again, I, I mentioned that I had been laid off at that point in time and was, um, you know, starting my own business and trying to take care of myself. But it was really, uh, the, the main interest was actually in the Groupon business model. Um, you know, as someone that didn't have a lot of disposable income at that time and the new family. Um, I remember at the first Groupon I bought, um, you know, you'd get 50% off at uh, a wonderful neighborhood restaurant that you otherwise couldn't afford and take your wife out for, um, you know, a nice evening out on the town, right? And, uh, and that form of um, local business marketing, I thought was really compelling and intriguing. And uh, I wanted to give it a shot somewhere where, you know, I thought there was similar circumstances. So, you know, obviously Croatia is not a very, or was not at that time, a very well-off country, you know, um, uh, uh, per capita income and GDP. And it's, uh, it's sort of a, a sleepy, depressed post-war country, right? I mean, so local businesses also don't have a ton um, to spend on their marketing efforts. And I, I thought it would resonate and it did. It took off. It took off globally, as you know, but we were a part of that. So were you, were you kind of approaching this as a, like, it is a, like, you're a marketing company, if you will, like, you're trying to help these companies market, or, hey, you're just trying to provide a solution, you know, for on the consumer side, because I think that's a very interesting thing, like, to think on, you know, either consumer centric or business centric. I mean, you kind of got to incorporate both, but one leading one versus the other. My, my passion for it was the consumer side um, to begin with, mm -hmm. but ultimately we realized that we were helping businesses and uh, yeah, it became a big component function of what we do. And ultimately, you know, in that sort of supply and demand model, uh, you, you know, you have to build both and you need um, to demonstrate value, obviously, uh, to to your to your um, merchants that are providing these offers, and uh, and that became um, you know really a rallying cry. To answer your other question more about the technology side, what um, also became a big mission for us was we became 
almost overnight, uh, this sort of sensation in Croatia be, uh, because of the viral aspect of, of that type of business and just how attractive it is for consumers. But uh, we were really uh, a company that if you speak to people back when we were operating there, it was the first time that they had ever uh, bought something online, right? Like um, it was much less developed uh, uh, e-commerce infrastructure and ecosystem over there in that part of Europe than in Western Europe or in the United States. And so ultimately what I'm saying is we suddenly generated um, all of these online sales and we realized that we could become a pioneer in e-commerce and ultimately mobile commerce in multiple countries around the world. And so it's, it's still something that gives up me personally great pride that, you know, I mean, now fast forward 10 years later, um, yes, it's an ingrained habit uh, <laughs> over in these countries and people are now used to purchasing online, but, you know, people didn't do that before. They didn't use their credit card and type it in. There was no trust. And so we really built a business where consumers trusted us, merchants trusted us. It, it was a, a really, I think, ethically run and partnership model uh, together with the merchants uh, that really ended up driving value. That's incredible. I mean, honestly, it's it's wild to think about that you know, it's almost like in an indirect way you, you built the the trust for people to actually purchase online. And I think that's, it, it. I mean, it propelled their country into something new. I mean, the fact that, you know, pretty much everybody lives on their phone now and e-commerce is such a huge part of global commerce that, you know, that's, that's modernizing an industry in a country, um, which I think is super cool. You should be incredibly proud of that. I think that's, that's so impressive. It was, it was a wild time <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of ups and downs in entrepreneurship, but um, you know, it, it was, it was really, you're, you're right. It was that sense of um, accomplishment and we're changing things that drove the culture and the team we were building too. I mean, everyone was excited about doing this. So uh, that in itself becomes a catalyst. So let's fast forward a little bit to, you know, some of your stuff that you did after that. So after Coactiva, what was kind of like the next goal for you? What was the next thing that you were kind of looking for? Well, uh, I came back to the United States after we uh, uh, merged and sold Coactiva and, and then took some time off and was looking for uh, new ideas. And the, uh, I didn't really have at that time any sort of spark um, about, uh, you know, a new company that would form or in a specific area that I wanted to go into. And uh, I was a little bit burned out after, <laughs> after uh, uh, just five years of go, 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 an incredibly dynamic time, as I mentioned. So, uh, so I took some time off and then ultimately, I mean, it's, it's not that interesting, the story, the, the network that I built out in Europe uh, ended up you know, proactively asking me if I wanted to be involved in various projects and, and consulting for startups. And so for a time, um, I was remotely helping um, multiple startups from Croatia and Serbia and other places uh, with strategy and business development and, um, and fundraising and uh, a whole host of um, different, different needs. Uh, and ultimately really found a great rapport with an entrepreneur named Victor. He's from Croatia and he built a mobile app development agency in New York, very successful called Five. And so I, I helped uh, with a little bit of consulting there, but ultimately we decided to 
uh, put me uh, in the lead for another company called Shoutem, which is uh, like a low-code mobile app development platform. Um, you can see Shoutem, that's S-H-O-U-T-E-M, Shoutem.com. And uh, yeah, that thousands of developers are building their um, the apps in a low-key way. And uh, it's a really cool product and business. I enjoy being part of that as well. And, and then finally found some projects uh, that I wanted to run myself and Paper Karma being one of them. Yeah. So what, how'd you find Paper Karma? Cause we, we met when, when you were already, you know, really a huge part of Paper Karma. So what, what was kind of the impetus in that and how did that start? So, um, my mom died and that was about four years ago. And after that happened, we kind of shell shocked, but, uh, uh, I remember one day in particular, I, I ended up getting a lot of, um, you know, mail in her name and, um, you know, it was, it just pissed me off to be honest. <laughs> um, it, it was, it was, uh, nothing but solicitations and, you know, charity donation requests and this and that. And it was kind of the, a straw that broke the camel's back in a way. And so, um, so I was fuming at this and I was thinking like, why do we get all this junk mail? Um, it's so useless. I'm recycling it uh, or shredding it, tearing it apart, using my time to sift through this stuff. I've got to touch every single piece and figure out if it's important or not. Um, you know, one out of 19 pieces may be important, but by important, it's like a bill or something, which I also get electronically and it's automatically paid. And okay, I can stop that. So now I've got nothing but junk <laughs> coming. <laughs> And, um, and it's just unreasonable and it's, it's just such a waste. It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of uh, privacy and it's a waste of, you know, environmental resources. And so fuming, um, as I mentioned, I was looking at uh, and researching, well, how can I stop this stuff and figured out that it's a total quagmire, but very serendipitously right around the same time, me being interested in technology and looking and thinking at, you know, what other entrepreneurs are building and what kind of ideas are out there. I saw on Product Hunt, I, I, I was looking at it and, uh, and someone was lamenting um, the, the death of a company called, I think it was called Outbox. Um, I forget now. Uh, and they essentially offered a, a very similar service to what Paper Karma does. They did it in a different manner and they had a different monetization model, but uh, going through that thread and rabbit hole, people were talking about Paper Karma, and they were saying that it was also a business that was shut down or going to be shut down. They, they weren't quite clear, and th there was a little bit of a vocal uprising um, there in the, in the comment thread, and so I started investigating more and looking at the Twitter, looking at their Facebook assets, etc., um, understood that Paper Karma offered a product, which was exactly what I needed, stop junk mail, and was going to be shut down imminently within the next weeks. And um, people were angry about it and upset about it and uh, didn't understand what they would do at this point in order to resolve their problem. So, so that got the wheels kind of spinning and reached out to the, the founders of Paper Karma, found out that they weren't involved anymore. Uh, they directed me to look at a company called reputation.com, which was the owner of it. And I contacted them on 
the owner of reputation.com on LinkedIn and started a conversation and we reached a deal uh, where, yes, you know, they were going to shut it down, um, but I was able to purchase the assets uh, and the brand and, and trademarks and, uh, and know-how, all of that. And we did a handover. One well, and Paper Karma has been around for a little while, right? Yeah, it's been around since I, I'd say 2011. Wow, so right around the first iPhone. Yeah. So, um, and I remember you talking about how it kind of it kind of came about during that time where you know you could pretty much drink beer out of your iPhone kind of thing, where it was like it was just like gimmicky apps at the time, and it was kind of one of the tops. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't say in terms of like overall downloads um, or whatnot, but what ended up happening is uh, Apple highlighted it in one of their like uh, top five apps of the week. And that drove, you know, quite a bit of uh, activity. And they ended up doing that, I think, four or five times in 2012. And at the end of 2012 said, you know, this app is really useful for people. And they named it one of the top disruptive apps of the year. Um, coincidentally, alongside apps like uh, Uber and TaskRabbit and uh, and, and I think a few others. Um, so yeah, Paper Karma never became an Uber or a task rabbit, uh, unfortunately, but hey, I, you know, at least I'm involved now and, and trying to continue to help people. Yeah. And, and so what's kind of been the new direction of Paper Karma or what are you guys trying to improve with the product? And, and, you know, obviously, you know, paper consumption sustainability is becoming a little bit more on the forefront. And I think, I think Paper Karma is becoming more part of that conversation. Um, so if you want to talk a little bit about just your your vision for it and how, you know, once you kind of took it over, what were you going to do with this? You have this, you have this app, you have all these trademarks and it's like, okay, now what? Yeah, I think uh, the, the vision has been constrained a little bit by the technology that we took over. And um, so before discussing what we're going to do, I'll just mention, you know, some of the constraints we faced were like, you know, taking over a platform in 2017 that had originally been built in 2011, right? So there's a lot of tech debt, um, you know, legacy architecture and infrastructure. And what that meant is we had to be very pragmatic in terms of like year one, year two vision. And that meant shoring up the technology and rebuilding it and ensuring that everything was safe, secure, locked down in terms of privacy, uh, you know, updated to new frameworks. And, um, and in some cases, the apps themselves, we had to rebuild them from scratch, right? So you can imagine the amount of, you know, time, effort, development, resource, money that goes into that. That was step one. And, you know, step two then has been, now that we've got, you know, a great working solution again, and, uh, and it works seamlessly and out of the box, uh, it's time to market it and grow the existing concept. And we're focusing on several areas there. And then, you know, step three is going to be the um, innovation and expansion. And what that comes down to a few things. So first of all, our, our vision is that we don't have to be constrained to the United States, which is the only country that we currently operate in. So we are step-by-step um, step making moves to enter into uh, more of an international arena in the coming year. And uh, that'll probably be around this time next year. We expect to be up and running in Canada, the UK, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand. So, you know, the English 
speaking countries outside of the United States as a first start. So internationalizing this because uh, believe it or not, it is a, a global issue and problem. And we think that we can offer our solution internationally. And then secondly, uh, in terms of vision, we know we have a lot of features that we could offer just to make this so much more automated and take even less of people's time um, using our solution. We're very quick. I mean, like in a minute, you can basically get rid of a pile of junk mail and ensure that it won't be mailed to you again, um, you know, after a small waiting period. But, but we can get even better. And so we have some technological vision there uh, in terms of the product. And I think, you know, there's also an idea where we can ultimately become more useful to the direct marketing association and the mailers themselves. I think as we scale the business and get more customers and consumers, we can ultimately offer more data points to them and even like a national do not mail registry of sorts where these marketers can vet their lists and their target lists against people that have a known aversion to junk mail and they can optimize their campaigns. So I think there's also opportunity there and on the B2B side. That's really cool. I, and I don't think we've really touched on this yet. Walk me through real quickly, like what the app actually does and kind of what what this problem is of, of junk mail that comes in into it. You touched on a little bit earlier talking about your, your mother's mail, but you know, what does it look like as like a global issue? I can't speak to the overall numbers globally, but we can talk about the United States where our focus has been directed. Um, and I'll tell you that the problem is, is that you've got um, north of 77 billion pieces of junk mail. Um, that's pre-sorted standard mail and um, every door direct mail uh, to offerings of the postal service. 77 plus billion pieces uh, delivered throughout the United States to 110 plus million, you know, addresses each year. And all of that <laughs> is ultimately either recycled or thrown into the trash bin because you really don't hold on to a piece of advertising mail for a long time, do you? Um, so uh, it, either way, it ends up being in the trash or in recycling. And I think it's the EPA said that about 44% of uh, junk mail ends up in landfills uh, unopened. And on the other side, uh, in terms of recycling, I would say a couple things. I mean, yes, that's a, a good way of helping out the environment, recycling your mail versus throwing it into the trash. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but a lot of our recycling uh, in the past, up until sort of 2018, went to China and they've stopped taking a lot of our recyclables. And so there's been times in the last two years where the amount of supply of like recyclable materials that would actually go to China had nowhere to go because there were very few alternatives. And the alternatives have ended up being like Malaysia and Thailand. And now they're clamping down on the amount of recyclables they're taking as well. So what I'm trying to say is there's no guarantee that when you recycle something that it ends up at a recycling plant. A lot of stuff was ending up in landfills. So uh, we think that stopping the influx of mail and stopping a lot of mail from being produced at the source is a better way to go. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And 
and is is it just like from the direct mailer standpoint i mean are they i'm not sure if you if you know these things you know in terms of their business but like are their numbers staying consistent or are they dropping off because i know that i haven't really opened or responded or looked at even a piece of junk mail whereas like you know 20 years ago people would actually look at their junk mail for a sec and they might you know fish for one out of ten yeah so the the industry if you will like the um direct marketing association and now they're called the ama i I forget what it stands for um you know they 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 tout themselves as, as a solution and I'm talking about a marketing solution and what they're really touting is that the response rates to postal solicitations and what we call junk mail can be anywhere from two to 5%. And they talk about, you know, even like a 4% to 5% average response rate. If you think about that versus digital marketing response rates, which are considerably lower, that's a pretty nice metric, but, the problem is that 95% of this stuff then, even in that best case scenario, still useless, right? <laughs> and didn't mm-hmm. hit the mark. And there was uh, trees cut down, there was production of mail, there's ink and, and uh, postage and distribution and all the rest that comes into play here and, you know, carbon emissions. And again, you're pissing off 95% of people, but, you know, making money uh, off of your 5%. And so I think they still do see an effectiveness um, versus other channels in terms of campaigns. I, I just ask at what cost. And then I ask, can we help them by reducing the amount that they're sending out in the first place and optimizing their lists? Can we, you know, chip away and nail down that problem? Yeah, because I mean, I, I, I don't think, you know, at least in the, sh- in the short term, especially, um, you know, actual physical mail in terms of like advertising, I don't think we'll, we'll go away for quite some time. But, you know, the advantage that Facebook has and all these and Google and all these tech companies is that they have targeting, they have person person data, where they live, what they think, what they like. And that's that's a lot harder when you got to just be like, let's hit the zip code because the general demographic is this. So I think that's I mean, I think that's a huge step for for paper carbon to do is be like, look, this here's your demographic. So if you're going to send it out because we probably can't stop you, how about you send less and make it more targeted? That's very cool. So walk me through the app a little bit. How does, how does it work essentially? So the app is really dead simple. The first screen is there's a big camera button. You press the camera button and you take a picture of the actual junk mail that you've received, right? You're taking a picture of the mailer logo or their return address. And, um, you know, in, in just one tap, essentially, we recognize who the mailer is through our character recognition and other technologies. So you'll simply input your address and your name, or if it's for like a previous owner or tenant or occupant of your residence, you can enter their name. Um, We can get rid of their junk mail too. If it's for your parents, we'll allow you to enter any name. So you just basically select from the, uh, the names that you've stored in the app and you press unsubscribe, that's it. We'll do the rest. We'll do the heavy lifting for you uh, behind the scenes. And uh, so to recap, you know, you take a picture of the mail, you, we identify it, you select your address, and you press a button. That's so quick. That's so quick. Um, rather than continuing to just recycle it, it, just you do it once and you're done. It's almost like unsubscribing from emails sometimes where you're like, wow, that was refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, ultimately, if you're getting a whole bunch of this stuff and you're really concerned about the problem or um, you want it to stop, 
The alternative is, in many cases, calling up the company and spending your time. And I mean, that's another benefit that we can give to the mailers, ultimately saying like, look, <clears throat> we've stopped X requests, um, you know, over the past several years for you. And assuming that, you know, <sighs> you're speaking with each one of these people on the phone for five minutes, um, you know, that's a lot of time where you can save your customer service operatives not dealing with, you know, a really dumb issue. And these people don't want to be upsold, you know, they, they just want to be left alone. Yeah, yeah, totally. So how, um, how does it work on the privacy side from, from your side? So obviously, like, last, you know, year, year and a half, there's been way more of a focus on on privacy in terms of, you know, app data, and, you know, Apple releasing their iOS 14, and all this, all this stuff, you know, having to do with privacy, and people keeping their user data safe. How does that work on the paper karma side? Because obviously, like, you know, the mailers, they, they get people's addresses, and you're basically gathering their addresses as well in order to unsubscribe them. So how does that work in terms of privacy? Well, a lot of these companies are collecting your data and offering a free service, right? And in exchange, they're making money off of your data and in some cases, you know, reselling it, uh, et cetera. And that can be, you know, a very tricky rabbit hole to get out of. We are not selling any data. We do not do any targeting, if you will, that is uh, resold in any way, shape, or form, what we do is we charge a subscription for access to the service. And that way you can rest assured that, you know, the, the money that our, that our customers are providing us, that's how we run our business. We don't need to sell the data, right? I mean, so mm -hmm. that's, that's sort of the primary way that we protect privacy and ensure that people, people understand that uh, we're not doing anything nefarious at all with uh, data. We have no need to and uh, ethically wouldn't do it anyway. But the point being, look, yeah, these guys have your address already. Uh, yes, we are sending, in many cases, uh, your name and address to a company for the express uh, sole intent and purpose of opting you out. But, you know, we've created relationships with these companies um, over the years, and we've discussed the exact use and protocols and opt-out methods uh, so that our service works. And that's all that they're using and they had it anyway i think i and i think that's just super important to to just cover for a lot of people just that that different business model you know charge for a service not you know do it for free and then you pay with data um i just think that's always a, a very you know important thing to to cover because i mean you know every all data is now stored on servers cloud cloud data home data i mean everything is literally to the cloud and it's like that those are secure places um in most cases but you know it's the companies that are holding that data and so the the fact that you guys are doing a good job with it i mean i think that's that's really important and that's kind of what i wanted to especially communicate to the audience is just that you know you guys aren't in this for data you guys don't make money from data you guys make money from people unsubscribing <laughs> and actually like you know removing more paper from from the whole system and and removing it from people's mailboxes well, I mean, not only that, so, I mean, we've spoken with several uh, potential investors in the company over the past years, and it's really interesting, you know, how VCs think, and, you know, they might not be wrong at all. I mean, I, I could envision the product that they're speaking of, and what they're saying is, well, you know, unsubscribing from junk mail is interesting, a subscription model is interesting, but I really think as a VC where the money is, is if 
you can uh, provide targeted advertising opportunities within your app um, to people who uh, may not be interested in a mailer from um, credit card X, but are interested in uh, a digital advertisement for credit card Y, right? Mm. And it may have a point, you know, and, um, and we're not going to do that with uh, Paper Karma. Um, we've spoken with our users and basically they just hate ads in general. They're not so interested in like um, in receiving coupons and offers and, you know, other sort of gimmicks and upsell stuff within the app. They're looking at the app as an opportunity to get a job done and resolve a problem. So we're going to continue as is, you know, um, on, on that front. Yeah, I mean, I think I think people are now recognizing digital advertising as the new norm. So they know when ads come, how they come. Like, you know, when you get when you have to wait five seconds to say skip ad on YouTube, or if you have to watch that whole 15 seconds where you're like, man, I do not want to be looking at this. Whereas I, I feel like you guys are a lot more purpose driven. And just like, look, let's do this. And you know, we'll we'll basically remove your mail for for a price and i i just think that's a better way to do it because advertising is just it's kind of a mess right now that's exactly our philosophy and we got a an email from um from a customer a couple days ago and he said you know the headline of the email was your app works too well and i said what you know and so i opened this and he goes you guys are in a subscription model business and you've gotten rid of all of my junk mail in six like a six month period right so why should i continue using your app and i, I told him you shouldn't you know we we did our job you you paid us you know to do a job we got it done and that's it you know like if if it ever surfaces again in the future we have different plans available for you and you know just be careful because it's easy to get put on additional lists there's you know any any um, of the following factors. I mean, like some of them you can't avoid if you move uh, or get a mortgage, like on a new house or something, right? Like then that's kind of unavoidable. I mean, um, but you're going to be put on a list and you're going to get all sorts of local stuff. And then secondly, if you sign up even for a new credit card, sometimes you can get put on a new list or, you know, buy something from a new online shop that you never bought from before and suddenly you're getting stuff from them obviously but maybe they will resell to other people right so just be careful you know but we're here if you need us and yeah we're happy happy to help yeah i always wondered how how people get on a list because for example i just moved and yeah the the mailbox is full and none of it really matters yeah well that's the post office <laughs> they uh they they offer uh, a list of uh, new movers. It's, uh, it's it's the post office that provides um, you know these uh, these new address lists as well. Very cool. Without without junk mail, I don't really receive mail anymore. And so it's kind of interesting when when you don't really have anything in your mailbox because the bills come online, the packages all just come to the come to the door from from USPS, but like they're not it's not mail. Yeah, I've, I've thought about that too. And, and, and I've obviously had discussions with people are saying like, oh, you're trying to kill the post office, you know, with this service. And I'm saying, no, no, that's not what we're trying to do. I mean, post office offers some very valuable services. And for instance, government, you know, mail, you know, passport registrations, um, e-commerce. I mean, there's so many small entrepreneurs across the country that rely on the uh, postal service to, you know, deliver their packages and keep their business going. And so I think packages, you know, is still a big component. 
of what they offer. And then there's, you know, the last mile kind of delivery stuff. That's kind of an interesting side of it. I mean, do you guys, do you guys imagine a day where, you know, you kind of have to close the doors of paper karma just because nobody can, there's no junk mail anymore. Is that like the goal or is it just, you know, shift with the times and whatever the junk mail is of that time? I don't envision in the near future that junk mail is going to stop. I think it would take uh, either a, yeah, like a disbandment of the post office and that doesn't make any sense as we just discussed, right? Or, mm-hmm. um, or legislation uh, that, you know, is privacy oriented and expands on things like the, um, the California Protection Act, which was just uh, launched for, for digital uh, businesses. Mm-hmm. I think that just the sheer volume of this and how entrenched the industry is, uh, it's, it's going to take, you know, like a real, a, a while to get rid of this problem. We are looking at adding in additional features to the app that are privacy protection type features. And so uh, what I'm speaking of specifically, like, yeah, we could also help get rid of, like many other services do, um, spam email and digital in in a one-stop shop. Ultimately, I think that might create some staying power for the app where someone like the customer I mentioned earlier in our conversation that, you know, stops paying and stops using it because he doesn't have paper mail anymore may continue to use it because uh, we can help him stop um, digital email as well and, uh, and become a one-stop shop for that. No one does both. And, um, and secondly, call protection, privacy, and other um, robocaller killer type features. Oh, those are brutal um, right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and so there's plenty of, there's plenty of business doing it, but, uh, but, but I, I do, when you talk about changing with the times, uh, what I'm specifically thinking of is adding additional enhancements and solutions for all of the privacy invading aspects of our life. Do you have any facts or at least stats about, you know, kind of the impact that paper karma has had over its existence? I mean, how much junk mail have you removed? Yeah, great question. So some stats I can point you to are, you know, we've helped over 400,000 people. We've processed 9 million requests, essentially, and we believe that that has a multiplier effect because what you're talking about is stopping, you know, all of that possible mail that could have come to these people uh, from those mailers. And so, you know, it's it's a little hard to theorize how much is that and how many years and, and whatnot. So, you know, can I give you uh, a comment now about how much carbon have we offset? I can't. Um, you know, how many trees we've saved, um, I can't. What we're doing right now at the moment is uh, actually working with Carbon Offset uh, Company uh, in preparation um, for kind of a joint product rollout. And they are going to be helping us nail down those calculations. What do you kind of see as like the potential future of the sustainability when it comes to just like, you know, kind of that manufacturing of, of mail, of paper, of printing, travel, I mean, all of that stuff, um, you know, the carbon offsets, everything like that. I think it's going to be much bigger and more diverse in terms of uh, ways that people can enter into sustainable practices. And I mean, even today on Product Hunt, I was made aware of a pretty cool um, <clears throat> new launch called EcoCart. And they're offering for the first time at checkout on an online um, store, they're offering a way for you to offset the carbon impact of that specific package 
or free, that's really compelling, right? I mean, people are buying tons and tons and tons of stuff off of Amazon and other uh, venues online. And, you know, there is sometimes a little bit of guilt about like the packaging and the back and forth and the distribution of this stuff. And think about fashion and clothes, you, you know, you buy three packages just so you can return two, so you get the fit right. I mean, it's, uh, it's not great, right? And, um, and so being able to offset your impact right there, I, I, I was blown away by the concept. And then secondly, I mean, there's a search engine called, uh, I think it's called Ecosia, that's E-C-O-S-I-A. And they are a search engine like Google or Bing, and I think they use Bing to, to power their searches. They have advertising on there, just like any other search engine, but they use that advertising that they make, yes, partially to fund their operations, but they take all of their profit and they plant trees with it. And they've planted like 110 million trees in the last few years. It's pretty crazy, right? Like you do a search now online and um, you plant a tree, right? Like uh, by virtue of, um, you know, visiting their site. And secondly, again, like, you know, you buy something and you can click to offset your carbon. It's really cool. And so these are new things. And there's going to be just so much more of that when I talk about the big and volume, just the, the, the way technology is evolving, it, it's, it's pretty clear that you've got a ton of great entrepreneurs that can create now very easily totally new concepts that can help increase sustainable practices and in our case, minimize waste. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, I mean, between EcoCart and I, I love Ecosia. I, it's, it's incredible. I mean, the way that they're thinking about it, there's even like a bank now, um, it's called Aspiration. And they go, hey, we take our, our investments that we do, because banks obviously do, do investments, and they refuse to invest in anything that's gonna negatively affect the planet. And when you actually swipe your card, you are planting a tree. And so it's the same kind of idea of like, you're doing that purchasing online. They kind of enabled it to do it, you know, in your everyday purchases that you do at the store. And there's just so much innovation in the space. It's crazy. It is. So, and, and I think people are becoming more mindful and sustainable oriented in their own practices. I mean, people are understanding that it makes more sense to, you know, own a, own a water bottle and refill it rather than, you know, buy a single serve, um, you know, water bottle on a daily basis, right? I mean, people are becoming more uh, aware of things like uh, Keurig pods and other single use product. And, and you do see a, a mind shift and you do see this is becoming more important to people uh, and, and it's become more important to the millennial mindset as well. Yeah. And I think the, the next generation is just going to power so much of, I mean, what's going to happen um, in the future. I mean, I think, you know, as Gen Z becomes a little bit more of that purchasing power, um, I think it's really going to shift the economy in, in a way that, you know, it's going to be more more innovative, more impactful, and people want to have, they want to know that whatever they spend goes to something else at the same time while supporting a business. Um, and I just think that's that's really important thing to, to think about as, as businesses are being built now. And but what was your first, you know, conscious, sustainable purchase that you made? You know, whether it was like, I bought this water bottle, I bought this you know, something made out of recyclable materials. Do you remember your first kind of conscious, sustainable purchase? You know, I, I, I actually think it was uh, a carbon offset while I was doing my MBA program. That, that would probably be the first one. Oh, that's super cool. That's really, really cool. Um, and what's your favorite place to go and enjoy being outdoors or enjoying just nature? So I love... Uh, 
outdoor activity and skiing out here in Colorado where I'm based is a pretty big thing and hiking. I live in the foothills right here outside of, uh, outside of Denver and there's just um, so many beautiful, gorgeous trails um, around me and uh, it, it's unbelievable like how close to home it is. I, I can literally be there in 10, 15 minutes. That's really cool. And what can, you know, if someone's really, you know, they haven't really been exposed to the sustainability industry. So what would you say, you know, is a first step that somebody could take if they're like, hey, maybe I, maybe I should think about being a little bit more thoughtful in my, in my purchasing or my lifestyle. Obviously, like some of those easy steps, paper karma obviously uh, is an easy solution to stop junk mail being produced in your name. I think just from a... I also think trying to buy not always new, if you can buy used, that can be very helpful. So I'm talking about, um, you know, marketplaces and, you know, everything from Facebook to Craigslist to um, ThreadUp is one for, um, for clothes. So, you know, if you can sometimes be conscientious uh, and, and not buy new um, and give life to something old, that's great. Obviously, you know, donating, I also think, you know, don't overbuy, you know, uh, in terms of food and groceries and, and those kind of things. It just comes down to, you know, being a little bit more conscientious about, you know, what you're spending, how you're spending and, and how much you're consuming. I think that's super helpful. Um, the food specifically was, was, is an interesting one because a lot of people don't think of food sustainability. So I think that's, that's a really good one. So yeah, thank you. I mean, honestly, so much for taking the time and chatting today about all these different things. I mean, I think we're going to be talking about, you know, just paper karma. It took us on this journey of talking about so many different things. And I think it's going to help a lot of people that don't really know about this world and also don't know about paper karma. And I, I just think, you know, it's really, really helpful for, you know, people to know that there's, there's a way to kind of have an impact and also do what you love. Thank you. It was uh, a pleasure and it's always great speaking with you. Thank you for doing this as well. I think it's a great initiative. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat. I hope you really enjoyed listening and got some valuable information out of it. Um, definitely check out Paper Karma on the App Store, social media, um, and give their app a try. Honestly, it works so well and to get rid of junk mail is it's such a great feeling, not only for you when you go to your mailbox, but also, you know, what you're doing in the global supply chain. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat.